It seems that during the span of my lifetime, the internet has become a rather ubiquitous thing. That it came from relative obscurity, something that was rather scarce, at least when I was much younger, and then eventually we moved in phases to the point where we are today, where it's almost understood that it's almost constant in our life. So it came from the point where we had no internet at all at home, and then eventually we had dial-up. And then eventually we moved through those stages of having high speed and all of those different steps along the way. And it's something that now we would almost seem to think was missing if it wasn't there. That is something that we almost expect to be granted to us no matter where we are. And why is that? Why is the internet such a ubiquitous thing? Why is it such a presence in our lives? Well, there's many different reasons and many different uses or perhaps many different causes, but I dare say that there's one that is very much underneath all of them, that it gives us a source of joy, it gives us a source of life, at least in some sense, that it gives us the ability to communicate as fast as light can travel, that it gives us the ability to know to share those joys in life with others around us and to really see exactly what's going on in the lives of others as well. And so it's become something that's rather important and it almost seems essential to daily life because it gives us that source of joy or at least that source of light, at least in a fleeting way. What happens when it's gone? What happens when it's not there? What happens when the internet is down or perhaps we're in that remote place where we can't get cell reception? Do we still have light and joy there? To answer that question, I think we should look at our faith and look at that in a deeper way, because the context of faith really shows us not just what joy and what light and maybe what peace and security are, but what is exactly our unending source, even when internet fails. To answer this and to go deeper into this question, we should start off with the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, we know that we've been with this book for some time, and yet it's still important, and it's something that renews our interest each and every week that we come to it. Because this is a reading that oftentimes we find in the course and context of Advent, or maybe even Christmas itself. Because it speaks to a particular group, the land of Naphtali, the land of Zebulun, that speaks to those rivers that seem to have largely been neglected by the Lord, and yet there's something different. Because all of a sudden we hear this roaring to life, this thing that gives us hope, that gives them reassurance. The Israelites must have leapt with joy when they heard it. The people in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those that dwelled in the land of darkness, light has arisen. Do you see that joy that's there? Do you see what Isaiah is trying to speak to them? Because in the midst of the Israelites, they've been in exile, they've been in captivity for so long that they've been only too familiar with the rod of the taskmaster and all of these different things. All of the affliction, all of the despair, all of the utter desolation. And yet here's Isaiah. The people in darkness have seen a great light. And even that rod of the taskmaster, it's going to be smashed one day that indeed that's something that's supposed to speak words of peace and consolation to them. That even in the midst of that darkness, even in the midst of the affliction, even in the midst of being ensnared and enslaved by sin, that they're still willing to hear the Lord and hear his voice. And he's still speaking words of peace to them. And so Isaiah is speaking about that point whenever things are going to be reversed, whenever there's going to be that light, that peace, and that unending joy that's going to come to them, and it's going to come to them soon. All they need to do is wait. Isaiah is speaking those words of reassurance to them, but what about in our own day and age? 
Then we move on to St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians. And last week we were greeted with this sort of introductory statement, this greeting, if you will, that was being given to the church in Corinth. There was reminding them of the depth and the beauty of their call and how the grace of God was being afforded to them. But now St. Paul sets about that work of telling them what exactly they need to be paying attention to. Because the church in Corinth at the time was very much struggling with this sort of partisanism, that they were sort of parsing each other apart, that they were adhering to a certain teacher or to a certain preacher, this message or that message. That it was something that they were all too familiar with. It was a way of life that had been constant for them for some time. And yet St. Paul's telling them that's not what this is about. It's not about adhering to St. Paul or Apollos or any other sort of priest or preacher that comes in the name of Christ, but it's about Christ himself. And so he's setting about that work, reminding the church in Corinth that it's not about adhering to a certain person. It's not about whoever's speaking the message. It's about the one who sent the one who's speaking the message. It's about Jesus Christ himself. Because all of this division was getting in the way of receiving the gospel, that it was creating this tension, and it was creating this sort of blockade from them hearing that message, because it was just dividing them too much. But what do we find in Christ? That common element of unity. And that's really what St. Paul's speaking to them. That it's not about this division, it's not about one preacher over another, but in fact it's about the message that undergirds every preacher, the name of Jesus Christ. Then finally we move on to the Gospel of Matthew, and here we find Jesus beginning that work of ministry, that he's going out and speaking to the people. And we know that the ministry of St. John, John the Baptist has largely ended at this point because now he's in captivity, that he's in that point of being in jail and in prison. And so he's, his ministry seems to largely be over, but Jesus is picking up where he left off. Because we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of John the Baptist. And so he's going about and he's preaching the same exact message as John the Baptist was preaching in his time. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That Jesus sees everything that's going on around and he knows that this message still needs to be preached. That there is this need for radical conversion of heart. And so he continues to speak to that message and to relay that message to the people. But what's more, he goes out and he starts seeking those first disciples. Then he goes out, he seeks Peter, he seeks Andrew, he seeks James and John, and all of those that are numbered amongst the disciples. And notice what happens, that they're in the midst of what they're used to. They're used to that mundane life of a fisherman, going out, maybe being greeted with success, maybe sometimes not so much, and just simply going about their daily task. It's something they're very familiar with, something that they're very comfortable with as well. What happens when Jesus comes and calls their name? That we see that all of a sudden they drop and forsake everything for the sake of the gospel. That something in Jesus has captivated them. Something in Jesus has brought them to understand that they need to drop everything else and run to the Lord. What is it exactly? Why in the world would they leave everything that they were comfortable with and all of a sudden run to Jesus and to start to seek a new way of life? Perhaps it's light. Perhaps in Jesus they saw something more. Perhaps whenever they saw the face of Jesus, they saw that they were living in a world of darkness. They saw that they were living in a world that wasn't satisfying the deepest longings of their heart. And so whenever they saw Jesus, they ran for joy because they saw something more. They saw that Jesus was the one that was going to be their utter satisfaction, the one to lead them to salvation, the one to be their joy and their light. Perhaps that's what they saw that day. 
But as we see that and as we consider that, that begs a more important question for us. Because so often we can walk around in this day and age and live sort of blind or indifferent to the light and to the darkness. But the first question to recognizing the light, do you see the darkness? Do you see the ways that we live in despair and in the times that we live in grief or that we live in desolation, those times where we feel like we're searching for something more and it's not there? The times that we're looking and that we simply are searching, the times when we seek and it seems like nothing's being found. Because in fact, we live in that world, and I dare say the world at large is a world of darkness. Because it's seeking too, though it knows not for what. That so often it's settling for things that are less. It's settling for money. It's settling for this prestige or this pride. Or it's settling for all sorts of things that for a time they might seem to glisten but then they fall away, that in fact they leave us in that darkness as well. And I dare say that we need to be aware of that darkness. We need to be aware of the things that our heart longs for, because so many times we can be shedding tears because we're not satisfied, or times we can be searching for more because we just don't know where it's to be found. So we need to be aware of the dark. We need to see that darkness and that despair because it leads us to the light. And whenever we see that, then we have to consider whenever Jesus is speaking to the disciples, whenever he calls to them that day, that all of a sudden their life was changed because they saw the light, because they saw the one that was speaking of something more, the one that had what their heart was longing for, that joy, that peace, that security, that everything that we long for ourselves, that Jesus was the only one that had that in, and had it in superabundance. But do we see the light? Do we see that light that only comes through Jesus Christ? Do we see the ways that even in the moments when we're filled with utter despair or dread or we feel like we just can't go on, that all of a sudden Jesus wants to enter into those moments and to give us that true light that we're searching for? Because so often in this world we can settle for other things and we get too lazy or too apathetic and we just don't want to go on. We just simply want to just be over or be done with it or to simply look towards some other way of satisfying our deepest longings. But we know that they fall short. That's why the disciples ran that day. That's why the disciples left that life that they were so used to living, because they recognized it wasn't satisfying them. It wasn't giving them what they wanted. It wasn't giving them what they needed. And so they ran to the Lord, that they recognized that he was the light in the darkness, that he was the one that people saw and the people longed for for thousands and thousands of years, for generation after generation, that he was the one that was going to give them what they longed for and what they desired. And so therefore they ran to him and they became ministers of this because they were so filled with that light. They were filled with that peace and that hope. Sure, they didn't always have it right. Sometimes they ran right back to the darkness, but it didn't matter because Jesus was there, that Jesus was the one that wanted to be that light nonetheless, and the disciples continually ran back anyway, even in the times when they might have messed up, or they might have turned back to the darkness for just a moment, that Jesus was still there. He was the light, and the disciples knew this, so they found themselves coming back time and time again, and so he's the light. We know this. It's something that we've often heard, that Jesus is our source of joy, our hope, our light, and our reassurance, and our sure source of salvation. But sometimes we need to be reminded, because so easily this darkness can overwhelm or seem to envelop us entirely. But Jesus is there, that he wants to bring us out of those moments. But it's not just for us either. 
that in fact when St. Paul is speaking his letter to the Corinthians, he's reminding them that this isn't a source of division, this isn't something to tear everyone apart, but it's something to bring them all together. Because in fact the light of Christ should unite every nation, every land, every people, and even every denomination of Christians. That it should bring them to Christ, especially in his sacraments and in the Eucharist. That it should align all Christians and bring them together. And that's a reminder for us that it's not a source of division. It's not something for us to hold against our brothers and sisters, but it's rather something for us to hold out and to offer. Because, in fact, we know that we live in a world that's so often filled with darkness, with despair, and with desolation. And it's not for the world to be enveloped in this forever, but, in fact, it's for us to be that light, to be the one that offers Christ to one another, because we recognize so many people do need that light. Even the ones that we seem, we think might be most hateful or most spite-filled, that they need Jesus just as much as we do. And that's a reminder for us, those moments that we receive that light, we receive that consolation, we receive that portion of Jesus' spirit, it's not just for us, but it's for us to be filled with that so that we can take it out, with, um, and take it out to others and to give manifestation, to give testimony to that light. Because last week we were reminded so much of the testimony of John the Baptist, the way that he continued to point to Jesus. It's not just for John the Baptist, but it's for us as well. And it's not just for us to speak about in an abstract way or a textbook way, but it's rather for us to speak about that love, that truth, and that light that Jesus has given to each and every one of us, even if we might not feel like we have it all together just yet. Or even in the moments when we feel like we're searching, that we should lead others in that search as well. Because it's not just about the light or what we think is the light, it's what we know is the light. It's exactly where we see the light in Christ Jesus. And that's a source of joy, a source of hope, and a source of abundance for each and every one of us. That even in the moments when we feel overwhelmed, we know he's there. And even in the moments when our brothers and sisters are overwhelmed, we should be the ones offering them that light and that peace and that security as well. Because, my brothers and sisters, we see this reading from Isaiah, and we see this reading from the Gospel of Matthew. And it reminds us that whenever people saw Jesus, they saw the light, they saw that the darkness was at an end, and that Jesus was coming in to conquer that very darkness himself. But it's not just a message for us to hear and to kind of put to the side, but it's something for us to hear and renew our hearts and our souls, that even in the moments of despair or darkness, that we continue to renew ourselves in Jesus Christ and to continue to preach him to our brothers and sisters. The people in darkness have seen a great light. May we be such a people.